What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you are the master of your own financial domain. Today's guest is a tremendous advocate for the lower risk brand of entrepreneurship we cover here on the show. He is the author of The $100 Startup Side Hustle, The Art of Nonconformity, and he's hosted over 1,100 episodes of the Side Hustle School podcast. Chris Gillibo, welcome to the program. Nick, thank you so much for having me, man. You bet. It's about time we made this happen. Yeah, exactly. You've been the OG in this space for a very long time, so I've got all those episodes, but I know that you were leading the way before I even started the podcast, so I, I want to make sure everybody knows that, that Side Hustle Nation was the OG Side Hustle podcast. Well, here we are, a meeting of the minds. <laughs> I want you to stick around in this episode to hear Chris's take on coming up with Side Hustle ideas, perhaps more importantly, what actions you should take after that and maybe some prognostication for what's coming down the road in the world of side hustles. Now, Chris, where I thought we would start here is obviously visited every country in the world, 193 countries. What were some of the most inspiring or creative businesses that you witnessed in your travels here? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's see. I remember when I was on the hospital ship in Liberia, we had this guy I called the Donut Man who would come, I mean, he brought donuts. He was a man who brought donuts, pretty self-explanatory, but he would come, you know, once a week and he had a bakery somewhere and was always excited because they would make a page. Like the donut man is on the dock, you know, I'd run down and it was like a dollar a donut or something. And he was actually like making more money doing that than anything else he could have been doing. So I think about the donut man, there's a guy named the pancake master. I guess I'm kind of on this food kind of thing at the moment. But like, if you go in the village in like all kinds of African countries, Asian countries, South American, et cetera, then there's very little formal economy. So it's not that everybody has a creative business. It's not that everybody has an online business, but one way or another, this notion of commerce of like buying and selling or trading or something is kind of just institutionalized in the rest of the world. So I, I think I kind of assimilated some of that. It's always interesting to see, okay, what are people doing elsewhere? Is there a way to apply that? Is there a way to bring that back home? And even if you look back 200 years is an argument that I'll often make is like, the 40-hour work week is a, a product of the Industrial Revolution. And prior to that, we were very entrepreneurial as a society. Like, it's in, our, it's in our bones, it's in our DNA, and like we could get back to that, but it's just kind of been educated out of us in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I feel like people are getting back to it for all kinds of reasons, as, as you know, I'm sure. Partly out of necessity and partly out of like, well, I'm, I'm disillusioned with the former economic model or employment model of, you know, working one job, et cetera. But then also because of opportunity, because now people are like, oh, I can, there is this global marketplace. 200 years ago, it's absolutely correct, you know, that people are like trading and such, but they could only do so in a pretty limited area. Whereas now it's like we can connect based on identity, which is so much more powerful than just connecting on geography. Any other creative entrepreneurs come to mind from visits all around the world? Yeah, I was trying to think. I had some tour guides in different places, and it would always be interesting. Uh, I actually wrote about one of them in the $100 startup. There was this guy named Rhett, and he was my tuk-tuk driver slash guide. And there's a lot of tuk-tuks in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and he had found a way to essentially cater to foreigners and provide like a bit more value than the average tuk-tuk driver. And so he was essentially making, you know, three times the, the money that the average tuk-tuk driver was. And so I actually wrote about Rhett in that book and put his phone number at the back of the $100 startup. 
And that book has, has done better than all my others. And so like, throughout the years, I've gotten a lot of messages and posts of like people who have gone to meet Rhett. I think I said, like, if you're next time you're in Cambodia, here's Rhett's phone number, basically. And so over the past decade, I've heard from all these different people that have met him and gone on his, his tour. He can never change his number now. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what I thought. Well, that's, that's awesome. So what I wanted to dive into today is this idea of as you put it, where do money-making ideas come from? Mommy, where do business ideas come from? It's one of the big three struggles that Side Hustle Nation presents to me, the other two being time and money. I mean, you, you addressed the money part of the equation in the $100 startup and time, there's never enough time. So <laughs> we could talk about productivity till we're blue in the face, but let's dive into the ideas phase. Like where do money-making ideas come from? Yeah, it's always interesting. I, I make a division kind of between, it's, it's pretty similar to what you do, but it's like my division is like half the people have a struggle with ideas and then the other half have a struggle with making ideas happen, essentially. But I actually think this, this idea component is the easier one to solve because there are so many different opportunities and ideas out there these days. So where do they come from? Well, I mean, you can listen to Side Soul Nation and every single episode there's an idea, right? You can develop your curiosity, which I think is probably one of the most important skills or traits that you can have in life in general. You know, not just for side hustling, but just the ability to pay attention and notice things that perhaps people would miss. And it doesn't have to be a, a big thing, right? I think that's another, it doesn't have to be like this huge thing. Here's the next iPhone or something. It's like, here's a problem. Here is a problem. This thing is inefficient. How many, you know, businesses have you profiled of people that are like, actually, I was, I tried to do this thing and it, it sucked or it didn't work well. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I can do it better. Curiosity, just asking questions, maybe doing a little bit of a skills inventory, which is sounds like a big phrase, but it's really just like asking yourself, what are you, what are you particularly good at? What are you especially proficient at? What are other people looking to you as the expert for? What's the number one question people ask you about, whether it's role-playing games or JavaScript programming or, or whatever else? And I think looking at that stuff more than looking at what do you like to do or what's your passion, I think that can actually be more helpful, even though like it's important to do what you like to do. But that skills-driven approach, I think, is generally better. Yeah, we had a recent guest Nick Huber from The Sweaty Startup actually advise against starting a business around your passion. Like if you're passionate about it, somebody else is probably passionate about it. People who are passionate do irrational things. Like they work for almost no money. Like that's not a place you want to be in. Like don't do that. So you're working on the aid ship in Africa. You come back to the States and you figure out, well, now I got to figure out how to make a living. So what what's going through your head? Like what kind of ideas come to mind? Well, I mean, I was you know, about 28 or so when I came back from that, that hospital ship. And I'd been working for myself for, you know, for a decade before that. So when I was 19 is when I discovered eBay.com and I'm 41 now. So this goes back a ways. When I was 19, I was like learning about online auctions. And that to me was like this gateway to, gateway to a whole other world. And it was like just learning how to buy and resell stuff. And first I'm just selling stuff from my apartment. Then I'm like, what else is selling here? Let me look at these completed auction listings. Oh, maybe like, where are these people getting this stuff from? Is there a way I can buy this for one price and sell it for $5 more? And that was like a college education for me, essentially, in addition to the other college education that I had, except this one was paying me money instead of me paying for it. It was better, right? So I learned a lot about that. And that led to, you know, all kinds of different online marketing, information publishing stuff affiliate stuff, Google AdWords, when all that was new. I mean, I did all that stuff kind of randomly. I mean, it wasn't strategic at all, kind of randomly for probably the better part of a decade before I had the blog and the quest to go to every country 
and all that stuff. What's interesting is I was thinking about this. eBay was you know 21 years ago or whatever. But what I did then is basically still available to people now. The same process. Obviously, there have been lots of changes, like so many changes in lots of ways to e-commerce and etc. But buying stuff and then reselling it using online auctions or some other platform that is still like a great little gateway, as I said, into this world of, of micro entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. Buy low, sell high, still a very viable option. Yeah, since the beginning of time or you know, since the beginning of commerce. Right, right. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences. With Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you have people start with this skills inventory or do you have them start with kind of a, a random walk down Main Street, call it, and playing this observation game and saying, well, somebody did the landscaping, somebody did the design for the posters in the window, somebody made that dog collar on the dog that's walking by. Where do you recommend people start? So it maybe just depends on the circumstance. But I guess if I if I had to choose now, I would say like the, the skills inventory is a little bit better because, or you could do the random walk, but focus it on that person's life. Because just the random walk down Main Street is going to lead you to some service ideas, like the dog walking, et cetera. But you're probably going to find something that's a little bit more attuned to your skill set if you're like, okay, what's a random walk in your life? So you get up and like, before you go to work, like what websites do you check every day? And what are you looking forward to do when you get home? And whether you're passionate about it or not, you know, like, let's leave that aside. But then you go into the skills and like, what do you like about your job? There's all kinds of stuff you like and dislike about your work. What's the thing that, that you're really good at? I don't know if one way is better than the other, but ultimately you want to find like a match between not just a random idea. It's okay to start with a random idea. I think that's fine. But the ideal is to find something that you are actually good at and it is something that you look forward to doing uh, because life is short and there's lots of different stuff you could try. 
So might as well do something that you like. Yeah, the one that came up for me the other day, because I always end up like finishing my kids' breakfast after they you know, take three bites and then go back to playing. Are there keto-friendly cereals? Are there like low-carb, low-sugar cereals out there? And that led me down this rabbit hole. There are, but they're like 12 bucks a box or something. I was like, oh, there's got to be a way to do this better, faster, cheaper. Yeah. All right. So hopefully you're taking notes on some of these questions that you can ask yourself. You can be thinking of what are the pain points that you feel going through your day? Recent example was the woman who was doing pet waste removal. She's like, well, it sucked to pick up my own pet's dog poop, you know, in the backyard. So I realized that had to be a pain for other people as well. And I was like, well, if it sucks for you, did you really want to do it as a business? And she's like, well, once people started paying me, I was okay with it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's like we were saying, it's, you might as well start something, right? You might as well start something. And way back in $100 startup days, I, had, I profiled somebody who was like making $80,000 a year in Minnesota as a dog walker. So it is possible that I would say what's more likely is, you know, she's going to do that for a while. And obviously it's a service people need, but it might give her an idea then to do something else. You know, it gives her the confidence, the experience to say, okay, well, what's next? You know, because as a dog walker, I am still kind of trading time for money. Basically, maybe it's better than, you know, the job I had before, or maybe it's helping to supplement my income, but I also have kind of a long-term goal of, of achieving some sort of financial freedom. So what's next? Yeah. What do you say to those people who say, well, yeah, that sounds great, but it's still trading time for money. Like that doesn't align with my, my end goal of lying on the beach and sipping margaritas. Well, I think two things. First of all, I think it's a bad thing to just pursue a random project. Like we keep saying random project, but I mean, if it's something that makes money and you haven't done that before, like if it's your first kind of foray into this world, that's exciting no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be like the most strategic, intentional thing. I often use this metric of like $500 a month. You know, if you've never made $500 a month apart from your paycheck and all of a sudden you find a way to do it, regardless of what it is, regardless of how smart or not smart of a business idea it is, you're going to feel different about yourself. And so that is going to be like a significant change. And again, maybe that will lead to something bigger or better. Maybe it won't. But I think people, one of the reasons people get hung up on starting is because they think they have to have this perfect idea. They think it has to meet all these criteria and check these boxes. And I just remember when I was a lot younger and getting started, I didn't know. I, for me, it was really exciting to be able to like buy Lego or whatever else and resell it for $5 or $10 more or whatever the thing was. So I think it's fun to do that. And, and over a long, it's like in life, it's like your life journey. As you kind of proceed down this path, then over time you get more and more intentional. But I don't know that you can start at the very end if you don't know exactly what that's going to look like. No, you're, you're 100% right. So many of the guests kind of have this journey of, well, I started this thing and that led to that and that led to this conversation, which led to this idea. And it's just this initial inertia, like the zero to one of taking that tiny step off the cliff and then what's well, like the matrix and then everything, everything becomes uh, visible to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Another one that I have on my list for idea generation is I'll call it the piggyback principle. It's also referred to as like the selling shovels in a gold rush principle. It's like looking for things that are happening around you that seem to be picking up steam and saying, okay, how can I support people engaged in that activity? How can I support that economy? I throw my hat in the ring. Have you seen any examples of that recently from the podcast? Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe something like influencer marketing, which I think is it's kind of strange. And I do think in the future, we're going to look back and say that was like a little weird time, you know, on the internet. But 
that's the, that's the time that we're kind of in now. So therefore, what surrounds that, right? What is the ecosystem that supports that? I mean, there's probably production services, you know, video services, obviously like virtual assistants and stuff. But I'm thinking, I'm trying to think a little bit, a little bit beyond that. That's something. I mean, obviously, like how many podcasts are there now? I saw a number the other day. I was like, what, 900,000 or something? You know, that's incredible. So instead of starting a podcast, perhaps like if you're like, I like listening to podcasts, I don't want to start one. What do all these podcasters need? They need help with, with something or another. So maybe there's some tool that hasn't been invented yet or some service that's a little bit of a different take than what other people are doing. There's always like an ecosystem that surrounds whatever that gold rush is. Yeah, there's the editing services, the voiceover work, the background music, the show notes production, the logo art. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. It's connecting people with guests. I mean, there's a whole industry around kind of a solo PR agencies, essentially, like, oh, we'll get you booked on different podcasts. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then I was thinking, what else? Like getting people, getting subscribers. Like all these podcasts, a lot of them don't actually have listeners and subscribers. So because there's just so many out there and it's hard to like break through the noise if you don't have any platform. So obviously services that are, that are kind of helping with that as well. Yeah. Look at, look at what gold rushes or what things may be increasing in popularity nearby. And if you have teenagers in the house, just ask them what's going on. Yeah. Right. Exactly. All right. What else? So we've talked about developing this curiosity. We've talked about taking an inventory of your existing skills and I might add on that, like to pair that up with your network of like, who do you know? Okay, so maybe I'm good at podcast editing, or maybe that's something that I would want to learn. Like what's my foot in the door? So thinking about how to match skills with potential customers. We talked about this piggyback principle. We talked about addressing your own pain points. We've talked about, I guess, the observation skill of looking at what else, what is already out there? What could be improved on that like maybe it's not necessarily a pain but you're like ah it ought to just it ought to be better it ought to be easier it ought to be faster i don't know what else on the idea generating front when people are pressed to do something they kind of rise to the occasion you hear stories about somebody who's laid off from like this career job and they'd never thought about being an entrepreneur and they've got a family and it's a little bit scary but they end up finding this new business and new business model or new business idea and it ends up Later, they say that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got laid off. And so you don't necessarily have to like walk away from your job. But I think if you like in the, the new book, I have the, the money tree that this guy has this challenge that someone gives him and says, you have to make a thousand dollars in the next week. And so I would say to listeners, like, what if somebody what if somebody challenged you and said, yeah, in the next five or six days, your challenge is to make a thousand dollars? How would you do it? And I feel like from there, a lot of people would go from theory to practice really quickly they wouldn't necessarily think, oh, here's these five models. You know, this is the model of this observation, the skills, blah, blah, blah. They, they would think this is a pressing problem. What can I do? And they might actually come up with something that's, that's better than what you and I could think of because they already have that network that you mentioned. They have the things they like to do that maybe there's something they've been thinking about for a while, but they haven't done anything. But then all of a sudden they have this pressing need and then they might move forward with it. That's right. Look at Chris laying down the challenge here on the show. Five or six days. Make yourself 500 bucks. Make yourself a thousand bucks. Tweet us up at N Loper, at Chris Gillibo. We'd love to hear what you come up with. The constraint breeds creativity, right? Gun to your head, 500 bucks by next week. Like you figure out a way to get it done, but it's easy to sit back and try and think of the perfect business idea when you don't have that pressure. Right. I mean, you can listen to a thousand episodes of Side Hustle Nation or Side Hustle School and not do anything. 
Or, as Nick just said, constraint, constraint breeds creativity, which is so pithy and that's so much better than the way I said it. You can be like, I've got a week, what am I going to do? And I think that will actually be more effective than all of the, the learning. And I mean, I, I love being an author. I love writing books. But I do sometimes meet people who are like, I've read all, you know, all six of your books and one day I'm going to start a business. And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. But if it's not the right time for you, right, I get that. But if you keep learning and learning and learning without doing, that's the problem you need to solve. You need to stop learning and start doing something. Yeah. What do you tell the person who says, that's all good, but I don't have any skills? I say everyone's an expert at something. Like everyone has skills. And so if you think you don't have skills, then I would imagine in a two-minute conversation with any person who's listening, we could identify what their skills are, right? So since we can't, since we're kind of like one-to-many in this conversation, we can't do that. But I would challenge like any listener, if you're really not sure what your skills are, like first of all, you have them, maybe you don't know what the marketable skills are. That's fair. I would start asking people around you and then also paying attention. If you have a regular job that you do, you go to meetings and like things are kind of being handed around, you know, oh, Nick should do this. So-and-so should do this. What, what are people identifying you as the go-to person for? What is that? And so you got your work topic, but then there's also like the, you know, your after hours topic that your friends are always asking about because you're the person who is knowledgeable in that. So I'm sure that they have skills. It's just a matter of digging them out. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you, you've been living on this planet for how many years? You got to have picked up something along the way. Right. Now, let's say we've got our list of potential ideas and what action we take is probably going to depend on our goals, right? Like it's one thing to say, okay, $1,000 by next weekend, a very finite challenge, which, which maybe is helpful. It's going to narrow down which options. Like I'm not going to be building a blog and building an audience. No, I'm going to go sell something, product, service. Like I'm going to make it happen. How else are you recommending people kind of narrow down their choices or kind of play this selection or validation game if they did come up with a list of 10 or 20 different idea possibilities? Yeah. So one thing I think is helpful, we're using this word ideas. I think it's helpful to start thinking about offers. What is my actual offer? What is my product or service? Rather than like my general idea, which can be kind of high in the sky. But if your offer is like, this is the thing I'm, this is the product that I am selling this is my pitch, my one sentence description of why it matters, who it's for, and here's what the price is. I think if you have a hard time going from idea to a specific offer, then that might mean that the idea needs more work. Because I think that like on the front end, think about how will this idea actually make money. And if you don't have a good answer, then again, relook at the idea. Sometimes people will spend a long time before realizing actually this, there's not an easy way to make money with this idea. And since there are so many ideas, why not just pick a different idea? Okay. My one sentence pitch, what is my offer? I will manage your Pinterest account for 500 bucks a month. I will edit your podcast for 50 bucks an episode, 100 bucks an episode. I'll clean the dog poop out of your backyard for 20 bucks a week, something like that. Yeah. And make it all, I and mean, I would say just make it benefit driven. So with all those examples, I'm going to look after your dog. So that you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to deal with it, but your dog is still going to be happy. So I'm going to like pet your dog while I'm out, while I'm out there your Pinterest account. Like I'm going to post for you so that you can grow your following and, and be more influential without worrying about the boring administrative details. So I think just thinking about it in terms of like the, how is it going to change that person's life is also really good. And because it's so specific, you can get that directly in front of your target customer. It's not this kind of nebulous thing of like, well, who, who am I targeting? It's like, no, I'm very specifically targeting dog owners in my neighborhood. Yep. And uh, if you don't know how to get in front of your audience, probably somebody you know, depending on the idea, there, there probably is somebody in that network that can help you get your introduction or 
show you what to do, what to do next. I mean, when I started writing online, it was like I had five email subscribers and just went from there, basically. And I was like, if only five people read, then those are the five most important people in the world. And but hopefully over time, they'll tell other people and it will go beyond the five. Eventually it did in a couple of years, but yeah. <laughs> Eventually it did. And we went viral in a big way, right? I don't know if it ever went viral, actually. I don't know if I've ever had any kind of viral success. Wasn't it like the, the brief guide to world domination was like a, it was a hit? Maybe a little bit. If, if I had to pick one thing, it'd be that. Yeah, I wrote a manifesto back in 2008 called A Brief Guide to World Domination. And yes, a lot of people downloaded that. But I, I don't know. I just think of viral these days as like YouTube videos that are getting, you know, millions of views in a short period of time. And I never had anything like that. I just had like the slow and steady. I had the slow and steady, the building blocks of I'm doing the blog and then I'm going to try to get a book deal and figure out the publishing world and you know, making different products and courses along the way. And some things have worked well and some haven't. And I just, I just keep making stuff. So again, it's not, it wasn't super strategic and it wasn't like a viral success that led to whatever it is that, that I'm doing now. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Do you think it's viable today for someone to replicate what you did with like a personal blog? I think it depends on the topic. I think it is viable. It's really important that they want to do that. Why do you want to have a blog? Oh, well, because I see it as a pathway to, to profit. Okay, if that's your main motivation, nothing wrong at all with saying I want to make money. But if that's your main motivation, there might be something that's a little bit better for you or easier, quicker, etc. But for someone who is like, I like to write, that's my medium. I'm not good with online video. 
I really like to write and I'm, I have this topic that I am skilled in and passionate about, whatever it is. There are other people out there that are interested in it as well. I wouldn't dissuade them from a blog. So it's not so much like yes or no. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish and what is the best avenue or vehicle for that? Yeah, that's how it started for me as a creative outlet. And the monetization didn't come until years later. But it was this process of learning WordPress and this habit of writing and that to me, it was personally rewarding before it was ever financially rewarding. Yep, yep. And you're also through that process, you're building this foundation, you know, with like you're building a foundation of your own skill, but then also the community and so on. And so it's your, your business now is much stronger because of, because of that. So it's just different ways to do it. Well, we talked about the influencer economy and whether or not that's a fad or something that's here to stay. Any other trends that you see in this, we'll call it the side hustle economy. And what I mean by that is over the last decade, we talked about eBay, we talked about AdSense and niche sites and affiliate marketing and Amazon FBA and all. There seems to be these little trends or, you know, the side hustle du jour, and then it's on to the next thing. So I don't pay attention to that so much. And it's not that it's a bad thing. If there's somebody out there, if you find an opportunity, great. If you find that gold rush, jump on it. Like I, I did that before in different ways. Like when, when AdSense was first out, Google AdSense, for anybody who doesn't know, it's like the ads you see when you search on Google. When it was first out, it was possible with a bit of creativity to arbitrage it, essentially, and put up like these you know, basic one-page websites with content that had ads going to other sites and then buy ads on Google, basically sending traffic to the site that would then go some, you know, and basically you make a profit from that. Nothing at all wrong with that if you see it. The, the problem is it eventually goes away, right? Like people figure it out, the marketplace becomes efficient, et cetera. So I generally try to focus on something that's that's going to be around for a little while. So in terms of like what the hottest new thing is, I don't know. In terms of what I think is not going anywhere, I think, as we said, reselling is not going anywhere. Content will always evolve, different platforms, mediums, et cetera. But content, expertise, again, everyone's an expert at something. So the way that you can share that expertise will change. But the notion of being like a subject matter expert is going to be around for a long time. I feel like there's many, many different pathways you can go down that are not dependent on what's happening this particular week in social media. Right. The fundamentals remain the same. The marketing channels and, and tactics may change over time. Yeah. Now, Chris, one thing that I'm curious about, you've been running the blog for 10 plus years, but you're always on the road. And when I travel, it seems like all of the routines and habits that I work so hard to develop at home kind of go out the window and it's like, oh, I'm on vacation mode. I can eat whatever I want. I just, I'm not working. How do you maintain habits on this rigorous book tour travel schedule that you have? Yeah, I think it's something that I've gotten better at over time, but it's also something that I think you will always be more productive in a stable environment. When productivity is the highest value, if you're trying to write a course or something or otherwise pursue some project that requires like sustained blocks of attention, it might be difficult, you know, to do that on the road. When I go out and like on the book tour I'm doing now, I, I'm focused on this as a season. I'm like, this is my season to go out and meet readers and listeners. And every day I'm doing media stuff. I have an event every night. The rest of the time is really like compressed. So I have whatever time I have to work aside from that is pretty limited. So I need to make sure that I'm like, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I sit down in front of my computer. Are there any must do habits on your list that, that, just have to get done or the day is a wreck either at home or on the road? Well, I try to be driven by outcomes and deliverables instead of a time schedule. 
meaning that I'm not like so much like, okay, 7 to 8 a.m., I need to be doing this. I need to work out in the morning. Like I try to exercise every day, but it doesn't have to be in the morning. Like I have to make the podcast every day, but it doesn't have to be at a certain time or whatever. So to me, like I have, I have noticed this little bit of a connection between like my satisfaction or happiness or let's say lack of anxiety and having those things complete, right? And so if I'm feeling a little bit antsy or, or stressed or whatever, I'm like, have I exercised today? Like, what am I behind on? What, what is troubling right, me right now? I think if you ask yourself, like, what's troubling you? Or did today matter? Did I do something that mattered today? Or was it just kind of like a, a normal day where I can't really identify something? I think you want to have like a more and more days where you're like, yes, t- today was, it's not so much like a great day. Like it, it can, it's cool to be, to have a great day, but it's like today actually mattered because I made progress on something. And I, that to me is very motivating. I really like that question. Did I do work that mattered today? Did I make progress on something? Did I move forward in some way rather than I, well, I put in my eight hours. Do I have anything to show for it? That's, that's really powerful. Yeah. Thanks. Even entrepreneurism, even those of us who work for ourselves, it's not just like, we always have this thing about like in your day job, you're wasting so much time. You're there for eight hours, but how many hours are you really working? But it's honestly the same for self-employed people too. I think we all, we can waste as much time as anybody else. So we all have to be mindful of like, what are we actually trying to accomplish? How do you combat the daily nature of the show? Like that's got to be incredibly difficult to like ever feel done or ever feel like you're getting ahead because you're going to wake up tomorrow. And sure enough, whatever I had in the queue is one less now. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. The days don't ever, never get shorter. As you say, look, I mean, Nick, I feel very fortunate. Like nothing is, is hard. I have a good life and just like you do, people care about the stuff that I make. So I, I try as much as possible to like live in this get to world where it's like, I get to do this. Not so much. I have to do this, right? Like I get to actually make a new episode. Okay. The episode I recorded yesterday, that's done. So what, what's next? Because it's pretty fun that I get to actually make stuff that people care about. All right. Did I do work that mattered and reframing it as I get to versus I have to, especially if you're in that boat or you're fortunate enough to, to be, to be choosing your own calendar at this point. Right. And you want to, if you're not, it's not so much like you're not using it or you are, there are steps, there are stages, there are levels. So what is the next step you can take to get closer to that get to world? And I believe everybody has a next step always, right? We're always growing and improving. Yeah. Even if you're not in 100% control of all your 24 hours in the day, you can start carving out little slices here and there. Oh, well, I'm going to take empowerment over my 15 minutes in the morning, half an hour here, an hour there, and exercise that, that freedom as it, as it grows. What's next for you? What's next for Side Hustle School? What you got going on this year? Yeah, so this is year four of the podcast for me. I think, I mean, you've been going for how many years is it? More than that. This is coming up on year seven. That's amazing. Wow, year seven. So I felt like I was so late, you know, to podcasting. There's a whole other lesson there, right? Because like I thought I was late to starting a blog. I thought I was late to podcasting, but it's not really too late. Like there's always room for something new and different. So right now I'm really focused on this book, you know, The Money Tree. I'm out on the road meeting readers, listeners every day. I want this this book to kind of connect and land well with people. And that's the season I'm in. And I'm still working on the, the show, going to work on another book next. I, I just always think like, what's exciting? What matters? I don't have to have the five-year, 10-year plan. If I have the one year, it's good enough for me. You're a book writing machine. Now we should add the money tree. This is a story about finding the fortune in your own backyard. Unlike your previous work, this is a fiction narrative. That's right. It is a story. So I'm still kind of teaching through it. I'm trying to show the model of self-reliance and help people get out of debt and, and discover that they, they actually do have this skill, like everyone's an expert uh, at something or another. But I am doing it, as you say, through this fictional lens. 
which I've never done before. It's actually really fun. So my hope is that the book will reach a kind of a different group of readers, people who wouldn't necessarily read a how-to book, but they might get engaged with the story and pick it up. Yeah, it was fun. It was a it was an easier read than kind of a, a how-to manual. So moneytreebook.com. Check it out. See if Chris is on tour near you. Check him out at sidehustleschool.com. Really appreciate you joining me this afternoon. I appreciate you, Nick. Keep up the good work. Well, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Yes, I was thinking about this. So first of all, I should ask, how many people have answered that question and said something about how like you should just start or you should just get started? That is the number one response. Yeah. Okay. So here is my advice. Replace the word start for stop. Because I think all these inspirational quotes about how like getting started, blah, 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 like a year from now, you wish that you have started today. I think we're doing all kinds of stuff that we don't need to be doing. And if you're doing something that is stressing you out or something that's not working, or if you've tried a side hustle idea and you're not seeing the, the success that you want or the traction you want, then stop. Stop doing it and choose something else because life is short. And the more that we can move forward, like we were just saying, that's what's going to allow us to ultimately develop and achieve whatever dreams we have. I love it. A little bit of nonconformist advice. <laughs> Don't just start. Just stop. Do something else. Just stop. Well, very good, Chris. Thanks so much. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. <laughs>